Interact with RoboHub, the podcast for news and views on robotics. Hi and welcome to the RoboHub podcast. In today's episode, we'll hear from two PhD students in the US who work on human-robot interaction, specifically the way that robots could learn from physically interacting with humans. But first, we wanted to let you know about our new and exciting Patreon campaign goal. We're looking for listeners to help us cover the International Conference on Robotics and Automation, ICRA, which is due to be held in Australia in May. More about this at the end of the episode. Now let's talk about human-robot interaction. As humans, we constantly interact with each other, and we learn from these interactions. Imagine, for example, that you're about to spill your coffee all over your shirt, but a colleague spots it and stabilizes your hand. When they let go, you will adjust your grip to ensure that you do not go on to spill the coffee, essentially reacting to the interaction that you just had. At the moment, robots don't learn from human interactions in this way. If a robot was about to spill a cup of coffee and you grabbed their arm to stop them, as soon as you let go, they would go back to the behavior pattern they were pursuing before you grabbed their arm, and more than likely, they'd go on to spill the coffee. This is because robots can't tell the purpose of why you interacted with them. Our interview Audrey spoke with PhD students Andrea Bikesy from Interact Lab at UC Berkeley and Dylan Lucy from Rice University about a method that allows robots to infer a human objective through physical interaction. They discussed their approach, the challenges of learning complex tasks and their experience collaborating between different universities. Hi, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having us. Thank you so much. Would you guys introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm Dylan Losey. I'm a graduate student at Rice University. I'm Andrea Baichi. I'm a graduate student at UC Berkeley. Now, how did you guys begin collaborating? Um, actually, I was interested in physical human-robot interaction, and I'd been doing some research independently at Rice. Um, but I noticed that Andrea's advisor um, had really started entering this topic and specifically focusing on how we can model the human as a rational agent someone who isn't just interacting with the robot without a purpose, but has a very specific reason to interact with the robot. So I reached out, and Andrea also had this in mind. Yeah, I had started my PhD, so I'm in second year now. Uh, and at the beginning, one of the things I was very excited about was physical human-robot interaction, specifically because uh, when I looked at how people and robots were interacting, I realized that there was a strong gap when we looked at how people and people interact, where physical interaction is like an incredibly intuitive and informative way that we communicate information to each other. And that's really not captured right now in robots. So I got excited about that when I first came into my PhD, but the ideas were kind of still raw and I was like trying to figure out the sort of the direction. But considering that Dylan had a lot of prior experience in physical human robot interaction, it was a great collaboration when he came in for the summer. So then ultimately I ended up going to the University of Berkeley and lab that Andrew works for the duration of the summer, and we collaborated for this project. Gotcha. Would you tell me a bit about the work that you're presenting today, or presented yesterday? Of course. So, the basic idea is that 
physical human-robot interaction, when the human comes in and pushes or pulls, twists, applies forces and torques the robot, is and it's a robot arm, yes. Um, although it doesn't have to be. In, in the case of the work that... Yes, so we did our experiments with a robotic manipulator, similar to an actual human arm. But you could imagine it's also for uh, autonomous systems, such as you know, vehicle robots or mobile yeah. robots. Or full robot. humanoids. Yeah. 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 Anything that works with people. Exactly. Yeah. And the reason we specifically used the robotic arm was, actually, the arm that we have in the lab is designed to be an assistive robotic device. So it's supposed to be mounted onto a wheelchair, and it's FDA-approved, and it's specifically meant to help people who have physical disabilities and allow them to pick and place objects, feed themselves, move around different things. And so a lot of our work was strongly motivated by this kind of household assistive application. Yeah, we're interested in robots that are very close to people. Yeah. And so what, what does this work look like? Uh, so the work that you're doing now, um, it's the robot has an idea of what it wants to do. Yeah, so the robot comes into the task thinking that it knows the best possible way to do some sort of procedure for the human. Like in our working example, we have the robot moving a cup of coffee from one place to another, maybe taking it from a shelf and then putting it down in front of the human. The robot thinks it's doing this the best possible way. But we know that different people have different preferences. For instance... And the best possible way, uh, it, it's just going in the path that you figured out. So it's just moving, if it's moving a cup of coffee, it's just moving that from A to B and well, doing whatever came out. Perhaps, perhaps it thinks it's the best possible way to move this cup of coffee is to go in a straight line. As long as it avoids collisions, just take the shortest path. So the key to understanding what is the best possible way is directly related to what the robot thinks its objective is. And this is something that typically, right now, uh, whoever designed that robot just imbues into the robot, says, this is your objective. It says, minimize the distance from your starting location to your end location. And like, that's the typical objective. And the big point is that different users have different objectives. Everyone's different. And so the way one person might want the robot to do the task is completely different from what another person's objective might be. And therefore, the robot shouldn't be hard-coded with a single objective. Instead, the robot should learn each user's objective during the task. Another important point, too, is that we as humans have a lot of prescient knowledge that a robot might not have. So maybe a robot sensor is broken, or maybe it just like didn't realize that there's something in the environment that the human really values and feels like the robot should also value, too. But the robot didn't immediately have that knowledge. So physical interaction is one way in which the human can impart that knowledge onto the robot in a very intuitive and very quick way. Okay, and so what does this look like in practice? So, maybe a good example would be... Yeah, maybe a good example would be a robot, like we were saying, moving a cup of coffee from one place to the other. It's carrying this directly in a straight line between the two places. There's a table, the robot's moving over. And the human notices the cup of coffee is full, it's heavy, and if it drops, it's going to break and fall. So the human comes in and just pulls the robot arm closer to the ground. It's a very intuitive way for the human to communicate to the robot this is how I want you to do the task. What we'd like is for the robot to realize, hey, the human's objective is for me to carry this cup of coffee, not just in the shortest possible way, but actually closer to the table, and then move carrying that cup of coffee instead of in the straight line, but now down towards the table, and moving across that table to the goal. Mm -hmm. Okay, and then so basically a human grabs it and manipulates it while it's doing its action. And then from there, it tells the user's preferences. So the other key point here is if you if you notice through the example, 
the human interacts and the robot does the task properly as soon as the human lets go. So the robot doesn't have to restart the entire task and like re -go, go back up to the shelf where it grabbed the cup, start to do the entire thing, now do it properly. Immediately, as soon as the human starts to interact, gives the information to the robot that says, I want you to move closer, then the robot completes that task properly. And that's the important component of our, of our particular algorithm here, where while the task is happening, the robot is learning and continues to perform the task correctly and doesn't have to restart, which is very different from other existing techniques right now, which require a lot of resetting the robot, redoing it, and having the human to like recorrect multiple demonstrations. Gotcha. Okay, so how does your approach work um, more fundamentally? I think the key is really the, the major insight to our work is that physical interactions, when I come in and I correct the robot, I'm doing this for a purpose. There's a reason why I'm pushing on the robot or pulling it, doing whatever I'm doing. So because these physical interactions are intentional, they are also informative. They provide some sort of information about the correct way for the robot to do the task. And this is really captured within an objective function. Um, and, and the major idea of our work is how we can infer this objective function in real time based on physical human-robot interaction. And the other important component here is that if you're actually reasoning about human interactions as observations about your objective, you have to derive some kind of model of how this person is choosing their actions. So one important component of our work is having an observation model that says, how likely is the person going to give me a certain interaction if they have a certain objective in mind? And this allows us then to have the robot more accurately reason about what the human wants. Because now it understands that if, for example, a human is pushing me down, then it's very likely that their objective says, go closer to the table. So we imbue the robot with the ability to relate physical corrections to objectives, so that it can then infer the human's objective. And then once it learns this objective, it can replan the rest of the current task in accordance with what the human wants, as opposed to what it originally thought was the correct way to behave. Gotcha. And then, of course, you can use this in additional. So if I'm moving a cup of coffee from here to there, the next time I have a cup of coffee, I can, Absolutely. of course, do this. Yeah, so you can, learn, you can learn while the task is happening and then just remember whatever's happened and then do it right the next time and all future times you've done it. Yeah. And then maybe if another human comes in and they want the robot to do maybe a similar task, but in a different way, the robot can learn a new sort of objective for that human. Exactly. So, so it really allows for a personal robot. Gotcha. And so how are you modifying the objective function for these different things, uh, these different ways that users might have preferences? So, so one of the key things in this work is when we looked at existing literature that sort of allows people to modify the robot's behavior and try to teach it, we realized that there's not one unifying framework from which a lot of things that work in real time, which a lot of approximations are actually derived from. And so part of this contribution was in this particular work was to formalize what does it mean for a robot to learn objective functions from physical interaction. So in our particular framework, what we did was we said, well, the robot always knows where it is, and it always knows like how it's choosing its actions, these control inputs that it's uh, sending throughout its arm, for example. And it can always, in our case, measure the human's forces that are applied onto it. So the robot actually has seven joint torque sensors along its body, and it can actually measure, oh, this is how much force the human has exerted upon me. Now, with these components, the robot is going to choose its next, or it's going to transition to its next state with the combined force that it's applying and also that the human is applying on it. So this means that both the person's force when they're pushing or pulling on the robot and the robot's commanded force are, are affecting the robot's actual state. 
So these are the separate components of our of what the robot can measure, what the robot can actually do. And putting these things together, the robot now has to reason about something called a reward function and optimize this reward function to best do its task. In our work, we wrote down this reward function to have a task-specific reward. For example, in the, the running case of the robot's taking a cup from the shelf, putting it down on the table, its reward is to, for example, uh, go as fast as possible from point A to point B, or stay further away from the table, or stay closer to the table. These are all different things that the robot's trying to trade off when it's doing this task. The thing here is, is that the robot has a weighting of all the different components of the reward that it really wants to be trading off between. And the human knows the optimal weighting of these different task-related components, but the robot is uncertain about these things. So, fortunately, in this framework, the way we set it up, the human's actions actually give information to the robot about what these different weightings can be. So when a push person pushes down on the robot, that's implicitly saying that you should wait, staying closer down, higher than you were before. Now, because we're treating these observations from the, these, these human interactions as observations about the weighting that the robot has to choose, the different components of its task, we now return back to this idea that we mentioned earlier about the observation model, where the robot has a model of how the human is choosing actions, and it knows that if it receives an action that pulls it down, this is a very likely indication that the human actually cares about you weighting this feature of staying close to the table a lot more. And so these different components put together define what uh, in the literature is called a partially observable Markov decision process, where human actions are observations about this hidden state, which represents the different weighting of the task features. And the point of this formalism is not to actually solve it with quantum DP solvers, specifically because these are currently not tractable to actually use online and have running on the robot all the time. But it allows us to have principled ways to perform approximations for an online approach. Yeah, and so once we establish that this is actually a partially favorable Markov decision process or POMBP, we thought about different ways in which we can approximate the solution to this optimization problem in real time so that we can implement it on the robot and learn during the current task. The first thing that we did was simplify the problem down. Instead of thinking about policies, we thought about trajectories. And I think instead of thinking about a belief, a continuous belief distribution, we thought about just a specific belief that we think is most likely for the robot. So by reducing the problem in some sense, we were able to come up with a solution technique, which we could then implement in real time in human robot experiments. What do you mean specific belief? So a more complete solution would reason about all different aspects of the belief at once. For instance, it might uh, have a probability over how likely it thinks the human wants it to be close to the table, and a probability over how likely it thinks the human wants to go in the quickest possible way. Instead, we just maintained an average. For instance, the human is maybe 75% wanting to go closer to the table, and that's the specific belief that we're going to hold. More specifically, this is a maximum apestory estimate of the belief, as opposed to a complete belief distribution. And planning with just an estimate is a lot faster than planning across the entire belief, especially because in our particular formalism, the the space of possible things that the human might want is very high dimensional maybe, it's continuous, yeah. and the observation model that we described earlier is also non-Gaussian, which makes the computations harder.
Gotcha. And so these weights are adjusting different features depending on what the human might want. What are these specific features that you have? You mentioned closer to the table. Yeah, so in this work, we were really focusing on the aspect of learning from physical human-robot interactions. And so we actually just gave the robot features that were important or intuitive to the task. But you can imagine extensions of this work in which the features are learned through some sort of deep learning algorithm. And then the, uh, it's up to the human to determine which features should be updated by the robot. In our existing or continuing work, sorry, we've been thinking about whether all of these features should be updated at once during every interaction, or the robot should only update the weight of one feature at a time. Yeah, so in this work, the way that we reason through what kind of features are important is by looking at the actual task that the robot is doing. So if you look at what the robot wants to do, there's probably some set of intuitive features that the human and robot share that the human can potentially give corrections about. So we've talked before about this example of the robot moving a cup over the table, but there's other examples in our work, such as a robot moving, uh, let's say, like a cup full of coffee over a laptop. And like technically, it's fine that the robot is moving the cup over the laptop because that is free space. It's not colliding with anything. But as a person, you might not like coffee going over your laptop. So the distance to laptop, for example, is a feature that the robot can be aware of and reason about when it's doing a task. But right now we have these features being very task dependent. But as Dylan said before, we can think about these features as being potentially like large, potentially being coming uh, coming from like a deep neural network or another learning algorithm that reasons about what are the potential things that a person might care about given a task scenario. I think it's also important that we talk about the experiments and how people prefer this technique. Um, if you, if you wanted to get to that already, or I don't know if you had other questions. Yes, but, by all means. Yeah. So tell me a bit about how people react to this. Yeah, so, you know, we come up with this new formalism, and it's in many ways very different from traditional ways in which the robot responds to human interactions. And so we decided that in order to really validate this uh, theoretical framework, we should implement it on a real robot, and then have different human subjects come without telling them what we were doing or which method they should prefer, but actually come and interact with both robots under the traditional. So tell me a bit about the traditional ones before you go into this. So what, what are some alternatives to the approach to this? There are certainly a variety of excellent approaches to respond to physical human-robot interaction, but the most common approach is to always try and follow a fixed desired trajectory. And then when the human interacts, the robot renders an impedance. It behaves maybe like a spring. It's compliant. So the human can adjust the robot's position. But, importantly, when the human lets go, the robot returns to its original trajectory. And so the robot never understands exactly what the human wanted. It keeps trying to do the same thing throughout the task and just lets the human modify it. The major difference with our, with our approach is that when the human interacts, the robot again responds compliantly, but now the robot is learning, oh, this is what you intended for me to do. And then instead of going back to its original trajectory, it replans a new trajectory more in accordance with what the human wanted. So uh, would you tell me a bit about this learning one or many features? Yeah, this is recent work that we did to follow up on this work that we just described previously. And it naturally evolved from just asking the question, okay, let's say that we now suddenly have a lot of features that the robot is reasoning about. So it cares about going close to the table, maybe not tilting the cup that it's holding. 
And the problem here is really that when a person interacts with a robot, the robot is sensing very, very low level information. It's getting joint torques that it has to somehow map and propagate up to like a very high level notion of the task. And the problem is this mapping is very difficult. And oftentimes the information that it gets at this low level might actually affect many different features that will lead to unintended learning on the robot's end. So we found, for example, that if the robot is just updating its, its knowledge of all the different components of the task, then it becomes very easy to teach the robot the wrong thing accidentally. So, so one example. Yeah, just sorry to jump in. For instance, when a human corrects, and they're not quite perfect, they might be pulling the robot close to the table, but unintentionally, also twisting the robot's end effector. So that not only is it carrying the cup near the table, but it's also carrying it at an angle. From the robot's perspective, it doesn't know, oh, is the human trying to tell me I should carry this cup of coffee sideways, or I should carry this cup of coffee lower to the ground? Yeah, and so we, we encountered this problem just sort of naturally, where we found that if the robot starts to reason about many things, it's oftentimes the case that the robot would just like learn the wrong thing. And so as part of this work, we were asking ourselves, well, what if we have the robot reason about one thing at a time instead of every single thing that it knows about? So here, in the example of uh, the robot carrying a cup and a human giving it a correction, let's say, going closer to the table, if the robot knows that the human might potentially care about both the distance of the table and the orientation of the cup, then what it will do in the one-at-a-time learning method, when the human pushes down on the robot, the robot's going to reason about how much each of these different features have changed from the correction. So the robot will think, how far did the person push me? How much did my orientation of my hand change? And it will only choose to update the one that has changed the most. The human over time can give corrections about multiple features because at every time, the robot is reasoning only about the one thing that it thinks that the person cares the most about. And we evaluated this particular learning method compared to the method that we presented in the prior work where the robot reasons about all aspects of the task at every single time. And we found that overall, it's easier for people to actually teach the robot more complex behaviors and give more complex corrections. And they have to do a lot less undoing of the robot because the robot's just not learning extraneous information as much. And so the intuition here is that having a robot that reasons about simple things is preferable to a robot that's reasoning about a lot of complex things all at once, especially from the user's perspective and from the robot's accuracy perspective. Mm -hmm. What kind of future applications do you see for this work? Yeah. <clears throat> so as robots continue to transition from factories and plants where they have very controlled specific uses and move into household settings, maybe working in the home of an elderly person or providing childcare for young infants. These robots are going to have to be very personalized. They're going to have to respond to very different environments that are unstructured. Different people have different preferences. Users may want the robots to act in different ways. Roomba is a great example of this. Every room that it tries to vacuum is different. And so because of the need for personalized household robots, we envision that it's important for people to teach robots what they, how they want to act within their own house or within their own setting. And that's where our work on learning from physical interaction comes into play. It provides a very intuitive, simple way for the human to tell the robot, this is how I want you to behave in the future. Please do the task this way. And it also modifies it during the current task. So the human doesn't have to go back and restart the whole process again. The nice thing also of the nice thing also about physical interaction is that there are many tasks that are very dependent on like the physical state of the thing that the robot is doing. 
like let's say the robot is going too fast, right? It's spilling. You can you can yell like, oh, don't go faster, right? But in another intuitive way to give that input is just to like grab the robot's arm and like slow it down. And these are intuitive things that we do with each other that we want to imbue into robots so that we can have that same kind of intuitive fluid interaction between humans and robots in that close-knit home environment, just like we do with other people. Now, we'll begin to wrap up. I'm interested on your thoughts on collaborating between different universities. Yeah, I think that's a great question to ask. Um, Like we said at the beginning, this was a very spontaneous collaboration. Um, But I think it went very well. On the one hand, Berkeley had a great variety of resources and a lot of different people who had different perspectives on learning. And perhaps I came in with more of a controls background and I had worked with physical robots in the past. Um, So maybe we had a balance of very strong understanding of the concepts of AI and then someone who, you know, has a bit more technical expertise with the robot. I think think it was a really wonderful experience, specifically because... It's easy if you work in your own institution to sort of get embedded in your own ideas. A lot of the same philosophies get like, you know, propagated throughout. You start to drink the Kool-Aid. It gets like really exciting. But it's really important to realize that there are a lot of different ways you can solve the same problem. And that's like a very, very healthy thing to realize and to continuously be exposed to. And so having different people from universities come, work in your lab, push the boundaries of how you're thinking about things, really try to see how many different ways can we tackle this problem? What are the different things that exist out there that I didn't even know about? That's the real benefit that you get from collaborating with different universities. Yeah. So I would definitely recommend it for any other graduate students who yeah. are you know, thinking about, hey, how can I think about new and exciting problems or maybe, like we were just saying, expand our boundaries. It was a great experience. Thank you both. Thank yeah, you. Thank you. And that brings us to the end of the episode. But before you go, please consider if you could help us to bring you the latest from the ICRA conference by becoming a patron of the RoboHub podcast on Patreon. You can support us for as much or as little as you like, and we certainly wouldn't want anyone to be out of pocket. But every dollar really makes a difference. ICRA is the IEE Robotics and Automation Society's flagship conference and it's a premier forum for researchers to present their cutting-edge work and we would love to bring you the latest from the event in upcoming podcast episodes. Just visit robohub.org forward slash podcast to find out more about our Patreon campaign and of course all our past episodes. We'll be back in two weeks time. Until then, goodbye! Interact with RoboHub, the podcast for news and views on robotics.